Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. We want to thank you for watching the show and sharing part of your evening with us. Polygamy groups are particularly demeaning to women. It forces them under subjection. And tonight we want to speak especially to those who are or have been in the polygamous Mormon belief system. Many of them will carry deep hurts and emotional and debilitating scars as a result of abusive religious practices of this religion. But before we get into our conversation, I have an announcement that I'd like to make. And that is that Mill Creek Church in Holiday is planning a revival, set of revival meetings. Now, we don't hear much about revival these days, so come and join us. It'll be next Friday, October 24th at 7 p.m., Saturday afternoon, October 25th at 4 p.m., and Sunday uh, morning, October 26th at 10.45 a.m. Now, revival is where Christians get together and collectively petition God to revive our individual hearts and empower us to do His works His way and to live a life alive in Jesus Christ. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, God promised, quote, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land, end quote. So, we're inviting you and asking you to join us at Mill Creek Church as we seek God's glorious face and bask in His holy presence of love and grace and forgiveness. That will be next weekend, Thursday, Friday, uh, or Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Please join us. I'd like to mention that tonight's show is pre-recorded. Uh, we had a lot to talk about, and so we pre-recorded the show to get all the information in. If you have questions or comments about our conversation, you're free to email us, tv at aboutpolygamy.com, or wait until next week's show and give us a phone call and ask your question at that time. Of course, our show is about polygamy and a polygamy in this culture, and many people who grow up in this culture are afflicted with boatloads of shame heaped upon shame if they don't perfectly conform to the rigid standards and ordinances of the religion. Women in polygamy are systematically shamed if they refuse to accept the painful lifestyle called polygamy, and if they ever manage to escape, they often take the entire burden of shame with with them. Now this burden of shame normally is unearned and often creates self-doubt, fear of failure, becoming a people pleaser, and having an inappropriate sense of obligation. These conditions can result from being born and raised and brainwashed in a mind-controlled environment, which is precisely what polygamy groups are. Our guest tonight is a man whose childhood family collapsed and he took the blame for it. For too long he wondered, what's wrong with me? How can I become lovable again? He made an unconscious vow to do whatever it took to be loved. 
He has succeeded in his quest, but in a way that is shockingly different than he or anyone can imagine. And tonight he's here to talk about his victory so that those in this culture who have faced the same devastation of never being able to earn the love they crave to have can be freed from that destructive kind of thinking. Our guest is the senior pastor of Reynolda Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He and his wife, Anne, have been married 24 years, and they have two children. He's also the president of Sharing the Light Ministries, which announces a liberating gospel of message, a message of healing and hope through national daily radio programs and conferences. And his radio program is broadcast daily on our local Christian station, AM820 Radio. So I would like to introduce and welcome our special guest tonight, all the way here from North Carolina, Pastor Alan Wright. Hello. Doris, it's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. We wanted you here last year, but things just kind of didn't work out. Uh, this is God's timing, <laughs> God, I guess. God's timing, and I think I can understand part of that too. But we're so excited to have you here and to share the story and the message that you have for our culture, especially encouraging to women who mm -hmm. leave or want to leave the polygamous environment. But first, let's take a couple of minutes that you can tell our viewers, our listeners, about your ministry in North Carolina and Sharing the Light Ministry. Well, Sharing the Light Ministries uh, does uh, broadcast all over the nation, a uh, 30-minute daily radio program, and it's such a privilege to be airing right here mm -hmm. um, uh, with our dear friends. And it really is, Doris, uh, the passion of my heart to announce a gospel that is not mixed with shame and legalism. Yes. Yes. And um, this is a thing that Paul felt so passionate about when he wrote to the Galatians. And, and, and he said, who has bewitched you? Yeah. How, how could you start with grace by the power of the Holy Spirit and then start bringing in little pieces of legalism? And really, I think of it this way, that if I were to tell my wife 99 days in a row, I love you, we're in a covenant, I cherish you, and I'm going to be with you forever. I'm never going to leave you. But then on the hundredth day, I said, I don't know if you're good enough. I might leave you. Hmm. Hmm. Wouldn't that one day, even if I had 99 other days in a row, that one day would poison wow. every other day. What a thought. Yeah, it right? would. So it, it is like, this is why I think a little leaven, a little bit of legalism, a little bit of shame can poison our entire hmm walk with Christ because the whole message of the gospel is good solely because right. God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Exactly. And, and He did it all. And He did it all. And so there's not, even if we announce a message that says, well, God did 99%, but you've got 1%, that 1% can produce an unlimited capacity for anxiety. And so really that's what our ministry is about, is announcing that gospel. Mm. And when the Lord began to show me about the dynamics of shame many years ago, I knew this would be a big part of my yeah, life mission. Yeah, yeah. And so everywhere I go, um, I want to just shout it from the rooftop yeah. um, how loved and perfectly accepted we are 
through the gift of Christ and yeah. not through our own efforts. Uh, it's life-changing. I know I love listening to your program um, on the radio when I, when I, every chance I get a chance to watch it. But, uh, and we'll share uh, much of what you say tonight too. Uh, some of our viewers may want to contact you after um, the show tonight. What contact information would you give Just them? go to our website, sharingthelight.org, Sharing and you can find org. everything there, resources and free app and podcasts and everything mm -hmm. else and how to contact us as well. Great. And you've written several books and the book we're going to launch our good discussion off tonight is this one here. It's called Free Yourself, Be Yourself. And the original title to this book was called Shame Off You. And I liked that title better, <laughs> not to <laughs> criticize or anything, but I liked that because it was so, you know, it just touched the need. Yes. That, that title really touched the need. So, uh, and, and where can our, our viewers get that book? Uh, Christian bookstores, Amazon, anywhere online, or contact us at sharingthelight.org. Off your website. Okay. That's great. And I, I highly recommend the book. It's good if you've come out of a polygamy group or any kind of a situation, any religion where you're walking out with shame or unresolved guilt issues or whatever. This is a very, very good book to read. And we're going to talk about a lot of that tonight. Being born and raised in a polygamy group can make an emotional wreck out of people's lives, specifically females. But also many males are also emotionally traumatized from the treatment received and the unforgiving requirements of polygamous societies and I call it emotional murder most of that trauma ends up getting stuffed way down deep and it often causes anxiety and depression mistrust in everybody or sometimes the opposite which is very dangerous trusting anyone who shows them any kindness at all and that is misplaced trust our religious culture places high expectations on perfection and the need for worthiness especially the women in fact shame guilt and fear are effective and powerful tools that these religious leaders use to demand conformity and obedience from their members. This results in content, constant intense pressure not to fail in the eyes and in the judgment of others. But the truth be told, we all fail all the time. None of us can always measure up. So when someone gets out of polygamy, their years of a shame-based life comes out with them. And tonight we want to focus on and maybe give help and hope to the many people who have left polygamy behind but still may be having their own personal, even their quiet battles of shame and guilt and perhaps they don't even realize that shame is the name of the battle. We're using your book as a launching pad for our discussion. And you said, and I'm going to quote, we were not created to live under cloaks of shame and blame. If we're not created to live under cloaks of shame and blame, why do so many people live their entire lives under those cloaks? And why do parents and religious leaders and religion in general pour out the shame on you technique? Because at a certain level it works. <laughs> people will run hard for love and acceptance. It's because we were made to be loved and to be accepted. We, we're designed that way. When we come into the world as a little baby, this is a beautiful part of the design of God. The little baby comes in. What can the baby do? Hmm. Uh, just on the airplane last night, I was watching little babies. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I have one son in college, one 16-year-old. I'm already looking forward to grandchildren. I love the babies. Yeah. What do they do for you? 
I watched on the airplane last night. Uh, the baby would cry and fuss, had to go take the baby back, change diapers back in the cramped little changing area back in the back, um, wondering if you're bothering other. So the baby is not contributing, but the baby is loved. Mm. And God made us this way, that we thrive when we're loved and accepted. We're made for that. We need love and acceptance every bit as much as our body needs food mm -hmm. and water. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody withholds love and acceptance and we begin to believe that the only way to get it is to strive for it, to perform for somebody or to do what they want us to do, then we'll run hard after that. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that people will work hard for love and acceptance this is why uh, not only in homes, but religious systems use shame to try to get people to do what they want them to do. To it's just not God's way. It's hell's way. That's right. Exactly right. Um, I find uh, this is an appropriate timing to bring up a very sad situation, and I debated whether or not to use it on the show, but I think it's appropriate, and I think we need to uh, maybe help you understand where we're getting at, and also our viewers. Uh, a few days ago, there was an apparent suicide of a 14-year-old girl in local uh, polygamy group. And apparently she hung herself with an electrical cord. And the word is out that there are other kids in the group who are planning on doing the same thing and following after her. And this, of course, is a, as a result of lack of hope, yes. uh, the hopelessness in their lives. And I want to quote from a recent post on a Facebook page by a former polygamous family member from whom I received permission to use this quote on tonight's show. And this will kind of help you and help our viewers understand the culture. Quote, I'm so furious at one man's family. His daughter was found dead this morning of an apparent suicide. Evidently, this girl felt so rejected by her family. Most of her other mothers, that would be other polygamous wives of her father, would tell her how bad she was and made her feel like she just wasn't good enough, always criticizing her and yelling at her. I know, she f I know how she feels. The husbands in this, particular, in this polygamous group are very good at making the mothers feel that way, and in turn, the mothers make their children feel that way. It's not the girl's fault. It's this father's fault and his very many wives' fault." End quote. So we're talking to a culture oriented on a super performance to please others, but we never measure up, no matter how hard we try or how long we try, it's never good enough. So this is an appropriate time to do our show with you. Mm. On page 14 of your book, you wrote, people who try hard at life do so for one of two reasons. They're fearful and working for acceptance, or they're fulfilled and working to make a difference. Yes. Would you please explain the two types of people and the differences of the lives of the fulfilled and the fearful? One of the things that's important to say up front is that if someone is trying hard, excelling, doing well, um, you can't tell from the outward behavior what's going on in their heart. And I was one of those people. Mm, I was one who uh, was always making straight A's. Um, was always doing whatever I needed to make other people like me. I was so committed to this. And you would have thought, oh, that's just a happy uh, young man. Um, even when I got into the ministry, 
Uh, and we, we first started all those years ago in a very small church, and I'm working all the time. My wife is looking at me like, you've got about 50 members. How are you working that many hours every week? Well, see, there's something driving me inside. The world applauds that kind of person. There could be another person, though, who looks like they've given up totally because one person says if the way to be loved and accepted is to excel and perform, and you can excel and perform, then you'll do it. Mm. But if you try, and you're not one of those people that can make A's on all the tests or do all the things to make people like you, then you probably just say, well, what's the point of it all? Yeah. And just absolutely rebel. So a very religious person or a very rebellious person may very well have the exact same seed of shame that is motivating them. Shame essentially says that you don't just make mistakes, you are a mistake. Mm. There is something wrong with you mm. and you need to figure out what it is. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is. I'm going to kind of withhold that information from you. I'm just going to let you know that there's you don't measure up as you are now. So figure out what it is you need to do. Do it well enough and then maybe you'll be more accepted. But as you said, Doris, it's like the carrot that's dangled out in front. Mm -hmm. and and it just keeps moving, it keeps moving. And so what I discovered was that was, I, I asked myself the question, am I really excelling and trying hard and, and even in ministry, even in, even in Christian vocation, am I doing this because I feel so satisfied in the love of God that there's something that's overflowing in my heart? Or is it this mixture of I have to do this or else I can't feel okay mm -hmm. about myself. Mm -hmm. And so the two motivations are internal and you may never see it from the outside, but we can see it in our own heart. And one is an anxious lifestyle and the other is the abundant Christian life yeah. that is full of joy. Yeah. And we're gonna talk about that in a little bit too. And when you mentioned that overflowing, uh, it reminded me of Psalm 23 where, where, where David says, my cup runneth over. Runs and if, over. You're, if your cup runs, and it does in Christ, yes. then you don't have that conflict going on. Yes. Um, that and, that, and I think that's main, one of the main reasons that our culture is, is so, or, uh, so oriented towards this is because they don't have the work of Jesus taking place within them. Yes. They're, they're doing a works-related religion. You, on page 18, you define shame as, and I quote, simply put, shame is a feeling of being inwardly flawed, of not measuring up, which is basically what you already mentioned. But you said shame, shame can invade our lives because of many different reasons. Now women, specifically women of polygamy, yes. grow up in an environment of shame on you for just about everything. They're required to be in subjection and submission to the male in everything. And whenever anything goes wrong, it's her fault. Mm -hmm. So how does a woman get away from the cultural propaganda that she must be in subjection to the male and that she's a second-class citizen and are women second-class citizens in God's eyes? So the only answer that I know is the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's the only answer that I know because the only way out of shame ultimately is to find that despite whatever flaws that you have, and we all, as you said earlier, we all make mistakes all the time, that despite whatever lack of contribution we think we might have made or any failures, 
that God has set his love upon us in Christ Jesus and that through Christ and what he's done on the cross that the payment for our debt is so full and so complete that our sin is cast as far away as the east is from the yes, west and we find ourselves completely 100% accepted and not only that but the gospel says that we've not only been forgiven, but that the grace of God has extended to us in this way, that we have been reckoned or imputed with the righteousness of Jesus himself, mm -hmm. that God has become favorable towards us. That in other words, he looks upon us not only as if we'd never sinned, but he looks upon us as if we had lived a perfectly meritorious life that Christ has lived. This mm -hmm. is how good the gospel is. And so if you want to come out of shame, you have to begin to shift your, the meditations of your heart towards the purity and power of the gospel and let that gospel just come in like a flood and live in it, meditate in it, steep in it, be filled with the Spirit who reveals to us that we are children of God. And if mm -hmm. children, then also heirs and co-heirs with Him. In Christ, there is no male or female, Paul says. There is there is absolutely to God no distinction between persons. We in Christ are all the same. We are forgiven, we are loved, we are accepted, and this is the good news of the gospel. And so for me, coming out of shame has meant discovering that when I'm at my worst, God has already radically yeah. accepted me. That's yeah. the good news of the gospel. And I just think, Doris, we have to let that message come and just just fill our hearts so deeply that it replaces all the lies of shame. Um, unfortunately, this culture believes that works is the way to salvation. And with the polygamy groups, polygamy is their savior, or at least shares equal yes. uh, time with Jesus as being the savior. How in the world can our viewers appropriate this good news, this gospel, and, and what it is is just grace upon grace upon, and no works at all accepted. I would start right from the beginning of the Bible and realize this, that when there was no sin in the world, Adam and Eve had this amazing relationship, but there's only one sentence that describes a marriage before sin was in the world. This is, this is, the, this is what a relationship in paradise is called. They were naked and they had no shame. No shame. There was no, no wondering if you're going to reject me. No wondering if, if because I messed up, you're going to think less of me. N none of that. In other words, it was the opportunity to be completely open and to be loved and to have no fear. And then the very first description that comes after sin entered the world is that they knew themselves to be naked and they hid because they were ashamed. There was some shame. And so what you begin to see is Except that it's from it, the devil. It's, it is. It is the whole conspiracy of hell is for people who have been bought by the dear price of Christ to to not know it, mm. to not really see it. And even if you get a piece of the gospel and say, well, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, so, but to not accept it radically. Mm -hmm. So here's what, uh, what, what we've done in our ministry, and there are many other ways you could do this, but we put together a workbook, and essentially it is a process. We are, 
we are renewed uh, as, our, as our thoughts, as one lie gets replaced by the truth and mm. another lie gets replaced by the truth. And the thing I often say uh, to folks at our conferences, Doris, is when we believe something that's a lie, we're not believing it's a lie, we believe it's true. Right. It's true to you, it seems like this is real to you. Mm -hmm. So when you first begin to hear the true and pure gospel of Jesus and the grace of the Lord. Grace just doesn't sound right. It doesn't. It just doesn't sound right. And so you have to have not only a renewed way of reading the Bible and seeing it through the lens of what the whole story is about. Yeah. It's all one big story of grace. Mm -hmm. and, I begin to, and when I begin to see the Bible this way, reading the Bible becomes exhilarating. It's thrilling. It's the whole point of the Old Covenant was that the law has given us to prove to us we can't keep we it can't do and it. we need a Savior. Mm -hmm. So you begin to read the Bible differently and then you surround yourself with people who understand grace, who you can say, you know, this is the way I think and feel and have somebody that understands the Gospel say, well, let me tell you how that is not the truth and yeah. what the Gospel really says. So uh, it's a process. There's a beginning revelation mm -hmm. where you go, wait a minute. Maybe this whole journey with God is not about what I do for God. Yeah. Maybe it's about what He's yeah. done for me. And yeah. then it begins to change. But from then, it really is a process. And for me, it has been it one lie for, after the other. I, I think it is for all of us. And God does promise that if we seek Him with all of our heart, He yes. will be found by us. He promises that. And yes. so any of our viewers who are, are maybe yearning for the kind of a life that uh, Pastor Allen is talking about, you can just ask God. If, yes. if you ask with all your heart, it'll happen. Yes. God is, has committed himself to that. And as I grew up, there were many, <coughs> many shame sessions, shaming me for various failures according to their high expectations of me. It was always this way. God hates failure. You failed, so God hates you. Mm. Constantly comparing my failures to someone else's success in various areas. And this didn't happen just to me. It happens in this religious society. On July 9th radio program that I listened on 820, AM 820, you said, and I quote, Do you think if we can tell someone how much of a failure they are, it will make them do better? Mm. And that, that took me way back to my childhood. And I was driving down the road, actually, and I pulled off the side of the road and wrote <laughs> it down because I wanted to remember to bring it up on the show because it's so important to our discussion. Our, very often, our value is dependent on performance. If we fail, we have no value. If we perform well, good. But we could always have done better. That was, that was the way it is. So no matter how hard we try, we're never good enough. Explain how destructive this is to children and adults. And instead of shame and guilt, how should parents and religious leaders administer to those under their charge who have failed? When a, a little child spills the milk, and maybe mom's had a long day, even in the best of homes, and it's been one of those days, and mom goes, oh, yeah. even in a subtle way like that, What's the message that comes into the child's soul? Well, the child does not have a sophisticated way of thinking and say, mom's probably had a hard day, and this isn't really about my issues, it's about her exhaustion, she'll work it out with her therapist later. That, that's not what's that's going right. on in a two-year-old's heart, is it? No, instead, even in a little scenario like that, that little two-year-old soul says to itself, I may not be quite as loved because I'm a disappointment. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, in a healthy home, what happens is mom says, it's okay, sweetie. Uh, mom's just had a hard day. Let's clean this up together. In an unhealthy home, what is communicated is you have messed up and you are a mess up. Mm-hmm. And you're probably going to mess up the rest of your life. Yeah. And if you don't quit messing up, then my love for you is going to get smaller and smaller. And that child's soul is not only confused and disillusioned, but is filled with anxiety. And Doris, anxiety causes so, so many of our problems. It's the fuel of addiction. Mm. It is the fuel of so much of our besetting sins. And here's the way I see it. If a person really finds themselves utterly accepted and loved, what they do is instead of condemning themselves in the purest sense of the world, they accept themselves in Christ, not in a prideful way, but in a humble way that says, God made me fearfully and wonderfully, and God has done so much for me. He loves me infinitely, and therefore I must be extremely valuable, and I'm going to do something with my life. And so if someone has that, that sense within themselves, then they want to make a difference, right? And what I wanted, and I see it now in my children who I brought them up in grace rather than shame. I wanted to make an A on the test so I'd feel good about myself. And I watched my children who they think, you know, I'm pretty bright. I'm going to enjoy taking this test and go in and enjoy it because if the pressure's off, Mm-hmm. and you're not going to be less loved if you don't do well, then go ahead, try some things. You use your gifts. See, we fall into this, this diabolical lie that says if we'll withhold our approval, they'll try harder. They might for a little while, but we're infecting their souls yes. with anxiety, and that shame ultimately stifles, that shame ultimately suffocates, that shame ultimately is death. Mm. And the gospel is, is life. life. It's life. Mm-hmm. And so we want to fill our children and we want to fill our churches with the message of the redeeming, saving work of Jesus wherein He loved us before we ever, ever did anything for Him. And He died for us knowing everything we ever did that was wrong and everything we ever would do. If Christ died for the ungodly, Paul says, while we were still in our sin, Mm -hmm. how much more each and every day can we trust Him to fill us with His grace? And He does. He's faithful. He's so faithful. He's so faithful. And and you mentioned uh, about Adam and Eve, that shame first entered. um, It said they were not shamed, and then, of course, when they sinned, they were shamed. So sin is what brings in shame. And you called shame a tyrant. Would you explain why it's a tyrant? Years ago, I was just uh, reading the newspaper many years ago. It was at the time that Saddam Hussein had been ousted, but he'd not been found. And yet people in Iraq had become convinced that they could begin to speak out. And some of the ones who began to speak out were the national athletes, especially the Iraqi national soccer team. Mm. And I was reading an article in the newspaper one day, and it was a quote from the star player. And he said that before every game, he would cry because Uday Hussein, Saddam's nephew, would come and threaten the team Mm. that if they lost, they would be punished. And after losses against key national uh, opponents, the Iraqi players would be sequestered. They were sometimes beaten. They were isolated from their families. And this star soccer player said, he said, I felt like 
quitting, but I couldn't. They threatened my family. And he said, I just wanted to play soccer for the love of the game, not for the fear of Uday. And to, when I read that, I was gripped, Doris. Wow. And every now and then there'd be something that just impacts you and go, why am I so gripped by this story on the other side of the world? And I realized, and it really was a revelation that God began to whisper to me, that's the way shame is in your own soul. Yes. It's like a tyrant. Mm. It's ruling you. It is, it is informing your decisions. It is causing you to react the way you react. It is causing me to take criticisms too, too painfully. It's causing a, a, a sense sometimes of doom as if I couldn't ever measure up and up. It was causing me to be driven and be perfectionistic. It was a tyrant. Mm -hmm. and, and the gospel comes in and it's a coup d'etat. You know, it, it is, let's overthrow the yes. tyrant of shame and, and let the benevolent, gracious, kind presence of Jesus begin to lead us, not drive us, yeah. to guide us, yeah. not shame us. And, and, you, and you mentioned earlier that, um, uh, or I, I believe it was I that mentioned earlier, that shame, sometimes we don't even know that's the name of the battle that we're facing. Oh, I would have never, ever in a, in a million years thought that shame was my issue. In fact, it's interesting we're talking about why, they, why did the publisher change the name of the book to Free Yourself, Be Yourself. In the end, it was because people don't want to admit that they have shame. People, it, it, it feels like such a negative word. We say, well, no, that, that wouldn't be me. Mm -hmm. And so until you understand what it is, you would think it doesn't even apply. It masquerades as accomplishment or achievement or, or self-will uh, uh, or it, it masquerades is all of this. And in religious systems that harness shame, mm -hmm. it masquerades as you're, you're obedient and you're more spiritual. Yeah. But it actually is an insidious infection of shame that is driving us simply to perform but in a religious environment. And that's what the fig leaves that Adam and Eve used it represents, is they were hiding their sin behind their own good works. Exactly. And God removed them and yes. covered them with His choice of yes. clothing, not their own works yes. to hide. And of course, when He forgives us, it's all gone anyway. He clothes us, clothes us. with Christ Himself. With Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Bible says. I think in some way or another, we all have a need for other people's approval. You know, at some point, somehow in our lives, we do. And some examples of how people may think would be, my value depends upon blank. And that blank could be, my value depends upon my behavior, or my popularity, or am I a people pleaser? Uh, in, the, in the polygamous culture, my value depends upon how many children I have. And most important, my value depends upon how people say God sees me. Mm, mm. Would it be accurate to say that needing others' approval in reality is slavery to a false power in our lives? And how do we get away from that kind of thinking? You're absolutely right. It is one of the worst kinds of slavery. Uh, we're never free. If I say, unless I have this approval, then I cannot be satisfied. If I say that, essentially, approval has become for me an idol. Mm. Uh, Prophet Jeremiah mm -hmm. has a very, uh, very interesting little piece of prophecy when he's speaking about how, how silly idols are. And he says, he says, the idol maker makes his idol and then it shames him. <laughs> and I remember years ago thinking wow. about that verse, and I thought, well, how, 
If the whole point that Jeremiah is making in the prophecy is that idols have no power, how can he then say the idol shames him? And this is what I understand. Now I see it this way. It's, it's like for me, if approval is an idol, I preach a sermon and, and hundreds of people walk out and say, oh, that was a blessing. Thank you, pastor. And one person comes out and says, I didn't like that. And, you know, that wasn't very good. And, and, and the heart, the sinful heart, tends to brood over the one little criticism. But what's underneath that is if I'm saying I have to have your approval or else, mm-hmm. I won't really feel good about myself or be satisfied. As long as I operate that way, what I'll do, and this is why it's slavery, I will work for the approval. So now it's like there's a, this idol and it's put up on the shelf and it looks down and mocks me. It says, look, you thought you preached a good sermon, but look, it wasn't obviously good enough. It didn't bless everybody. Mm. There's still something wrong with you. And it mocks you. And here's what's so beautiful about the gospel. It tears down idols because the idol really is set up in our own heart by ourselves. And that's the thing I began to realize was, wait a minute, if approval is an idol that I made, I can take it down by the power (laughs) of the gospel and replace it instead Mm -hmm. of saying, unless I have approval, then I won't ever be able to be satisfied or feel good about myself. Then you replace it with you say, I've already found approval through Christ Jesus. Jesus. And therefore, I don't need approval. See, the answer is not to work harder for more approval, the answer is to not need that approval. Well, and the harder we work for more approval, the more chance we have of failure, and so it's just a vicious cycle. It's a downward cycle. Right. Because if I have to have it and then I fail, then I'm mocked by the voice of shame. I feel even worse about myself. I try even harder, then my failures feel even worse, and ultimately Mm -hmm. it leads to terrible things. And that leads to to a thought of in Corinthians where it talks about strongholds in our lives, that the the gospel, the Word of God, tears down strongholds. And that idol that you're talking about is a stronghold in the lives who are depending upon the approval of others to feel good about themselves when all we need is God's approval. I I often think of a stronghold. It is a fortress on a higher place that is meant to give strategic advantage to the enemy. Uh And so when there's a stronghold like shame, it is a it is a it is as one person called a house of thoughts. And what I realized, Doris, was my this wall in my life began with I am flawed, okay, that's true. But then the next building block, if you can imagine stones being built on that, for me was therefore I'm less loved. Now that's a lie. Now that's a lie. Mm -hmm. Because once you believe you're less loved because you're flawed, the whole rest of the gospel is going to be lost upon you. Because then for me, if I'm less loved, then I need to close up and hide. Because if I'm loved according to whether I'm flawed or not, don't let anybody see my flaws. So now, like Adam and Eve, I'm hiding. And not only will I close up, but then the next stones that are built on top of that or that I need to try harder, do more, and ultimately become perf- perfect. And, and literally at our conference, we'll build a, 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 with these stones, a, a simulated stones, just build a wall, and they go hide behind it. Hmm. Because wow. it's, behind, it's yeah. behind a wall yeah. like that. Every, build up walls. Yes, every manner of temptation can hide behind a wall like that. Mm-hmm. And the key is that very first stone that says, because I'm flawed, I'm less loved. You pull that out of the wall, 
and the whole wall comes tumbling down because mm -hmm. the truth is we're not less loved we're so loved mm -hmm. and I remember when God pulled that he pulled that stone right underneath and the whole wall came tumbling. I remember when that happened in my it was after I became a Christian it was after I got saved but it was still a wall I was hiding behind and it was very painful for that wall to come tumbling down but once it did and I just saw you know the, the beauty of all I'd been missing Freedom. Uh, you know, and, and it was hiding behind these walls that had been built up during my being raised in the polygamy group, and I just hadn't let God in on it yet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he forced it to happen in a very marvelous and, and gentle uh, way, but it was a for sure thing, kind of like your, your story, it's a yes. for sure thing. Uh, you're, you're offering hope, and, and this culture needs hope. Uh, those in polygamy who suffer so much emotionally, and m many times they can't even let their emotions show. Um, one polygamy group says, you're not happy, um, it's your fault because you are responsible for your own happiness. And all of that kind of stuff that, that just pounds this shame upon shame upon shame. But your statement is offering hope, and hope is what is needed. What do you mean, shame overthrown? How? The, the, our viewers, they're saying, how can this happen? How can I make this happen? Because they don't even know what grace is. Right. They think it's something you say before you eat food. Right, right. For me, I began to take a very honest self-inventory, Doris. I, I, think that's a, I think that's a good beginning step, is to step back from it and be honest with yourself. Um, is what I am experiencing from the religious system that I'm in, is it really um, causing me joy and freedom? If the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the yeah, Holy Spirit, yeah. if this is um, the nature of God, God is love, is this what I'm experiencing? What's going on in my life? For me, I began to look at things that were just, why, why am I this way? Why do I take criticisms as hard as I do? Why do I feel so responsible for everybody's problems? Why, why would I be prone to start having a negative thought process because uh, of, of a bad experience. Why, why did I feel like everything was always my responsibility, my fault? I began to look at all of this. I began to investigate, I just don't have healthy boundaries. I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I can be critical of my wife, or this is my early years. I, I began to be honest about that. And I think that we stop and we look at the fruit that is taking place in our heart. And if there's something wrong, we have to stop and say, why am I thinking that way? Mm -hmm. Stop and think, do you feel, how do you feel about yourself? If you think right now, how does God think of you? And if you answer that question and say, well, I think he's probably a little mad at me, or I think he is probably disappointed in me, then you have to stop and say, why do I think of God that way when the Bible describes Him as a God of such love? Stop and ask and be honest enough to say, maybe there's something wrong, and maybe the way to, set, to, to freedom is not through me adding one more layer of religious duty, but really encountering the gospel of grace in a new way. Mm -hmm. That's really where it started for me, and then from that point, you can begin, as you were saying earlier, to ask God to help you to see it, to see what grace is really yeah. all about. What biblical grace, biblical grace really is. On page 89, you ask the question, quote, 
what if there was more to opening yourself to the conviction of the Holy Spirit than just feeling bad? <laughs> what if you found it to be the secret to discovering an abundant life, end quote? Now, I'd venture to say that there are very few people in this culture, in the polygamy groups as well as the Mormonism belief system, that they are even familiar with the biblical phrase, living the abundant life. Um, again, it's a statement of hope the abundant life is, but living with shame and guilt is not the abundant life. Explain what is the abundant life as the Bible talks about it, and how do those who carry the guilt and fear and shame, how can they have that abundant life? Well, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's fruit. Yes. It is, it is the product of a relationship. It is the, as we were saying earlier, the overflow of the goodness of God in us. The Christian life never has been about a set of rules that we're supposed right. to follow in order to please God. Absolutely. It's always been about a relationship. We have a Father and He loves us and He loves us beautifully, tenderly. He, he loves us infinitely and He loves being in relationship with us. Mm -hmm. When you come to know yourself in, in, in the light of God's fatherly love, as his daughter, as his son, as his heir, what you begin to understand is that the Christian life is from the beginning empowered by God finding us, claiming us, adopting us, making us his own. Mm -hmm. And what happens to the soul that is absolutely accepted and loved like that? That soul begins to be delighted. Yeah. It's wonderful yeah. to be loved. For sure. And when you are so loved, and you begin to hear from God's Word about who you really are, how you were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, not by your own work, but what He has done through the blood of Jesus. It brings not only a delight to your heart, but you start, as we were saying earlier, you start saying, okay, He's got some important yeah. things for me to do. Yeah. I'm an heir. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Mm -hmm. And there's some important work to be done, and it's fun to do it. Yeah, it And is. so you run the race of life, mm -hmm. not because you're fearful, but because you're moving towards something. And it's exhilarating. And uh, I, I think of, of Eric Little, the, the famous uh, runner from Chariots of the Fire, says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Mm. And I often think of that in the Christian life. Yeah. It is. Um, that's what I feel. I feel it. I feel it talking to you now. I yeah. feel the pleasure of God when when I when I preach. I feel the pleasure of God when I play with my kids. I feel the pleasure of God. The chief end uh, of 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 humanity is to glorify God and to enjoy glorify Him. And enjoy Him absolutely. The enjoy abundant him. Christian life is a life is that God. is fueled by the enjoyment of God, Amen. and the joy of the Lord becomes yeah. our strength. Which is it's, something I never totally totally for. It's completely to foreign to any shame based up. religious. System. Somebody made the comment that this particular religious culture uses the tools that he called FOGS, which is an acronym for uh, fear, obligation, guilt, and shame. Hmm. We've been talking about the fear and the guilt and the shame, but let's briefly, we, we need to kind of start winding down, the hour's getting close to being up, but let's briefly address a wrong sense of obligation hmm. that people will instill in others. You're obligated to go to church. You're obligated to go to this church. You're obligated to do what your parents did, especially if they lived polygamy. You're obligated to follow in their footsteps and so on, which are all false requirements of obligation. 
Of course, not meeting those obligations causes shame, and it's a vicious cycle. How do you get past, how do the, the, our viewers get past this? At some point, you do have to go, this is blinding, suffocating, stifling shame, and something in you has to say, I don't want that anymore. At some point, like I was saying earlier about overthrowing a tyrant, at some point you have to say, I am tired of that ruling my life. And you may not figure it all out at the beginning, but there is something, and this comes also by the grace of God, in which it's sort of like standing up to a bully, but the bully may be your own voice of self-condemnation. Oh, yeah. yeah. And at some point you say, that, that's not, that is not the way that I want to live my life. And I think that at some point you, you get to that place. I, I did. Mm -hmm. and, and I know there are people watching now that you begin to start having this idea that I'm tired of I'm this. Tired of this. Yeah. I may not I may not understand what this is this grace that 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 Doris and Alan are talking about right now but I want that if that's true at all that's what I want and so something begins begins to turn and you have to understand this that every single being human being is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and I, it is just so painful, and this is what I love about your ministry, Doris, is it's so painful to see when someone's boundaries are violated and yeah. they are used, yeah. right? Exactly. They are used, and they are made to believe that you exist in order to perform for me. What happens is it just gets so blurry, and yes. our souls begin to yeah. believe this is what my and life is about. And that's what the polygamists do. You were created to perform for me. That's what... That's the male voice to the female voice in polygamy groups. And all forms of abuse, all of it relates to that. Mm. I'm going to make you feel so worthless that if you don't do this, you won't ha you'll have even less value. Mm -hmm. And so your obligation is to me, when in reality, our obligation is to God and only to God. And only to God. And God is much more interested in simply relating to us than He ever was in having some obligatory service on our back. Go and learn what this means, Jesus said. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Learn what this means, that the, the whole walk of Christianity is one that is built upon the mercy of God. Yes. And our sacrifices to God were never pleasing to God. Right. They were right. just a, the whole old temple system of sacrifice was just a shadow of what was to exactly. come, of the perfect Precisely. sacrifice in Christ. Um, Polygamists often believe that the woman is not worthy enough in God's eyes to have her own exclusive, private, personal husband. I don't know if you can even grasp that thinking, but that's the culture. It's a culture I was raised in that's a culture around that this uh, religious system was built upon. Will you say something? We've only got a few minutes left. Would you say something to the polygamist women who will see this show? Women who have not been taught from the cradle. They have been taught that God is not pleased with them unless they live polygamy, sharing their husband with other women. I want to say this, that in the first place, every single woman is made in the image of God, cherished by God, and worth the infinite price of the gift of the Son of God, that deeply, before you see anything else, to understand that you are utterly and completely valuable to God, completely, infinitely valuable to Him, so much so that He came. And to understand that the gospel is only a gospel 
if it's all about Jesus's sacrifice yes. and his righteousness and not our sacrifice and our righteousness. That's right. That any other system and any other ideology and any other teaching that anybody would ever give you that says that you're not going to be loved by God and you're not going to make it into the good places in heaven or whatever ideology it might be, that unless you do these things, whether it be polygamy or any other type of duty, any ideology that says that is from hell. It is stifling, it is suffocating, and it must be rejected because it's not good news. The entire Word of God is a good, news, good news announcement. Mm -hmm. And so begin to train your heart, is what I would say, and receive from God good news. Yeah. He loves you. He died for you. He knew every mistake you ever had made and ever would make, and yet He still came for you. If He loved you that much, why in the world would He take away His love if you aren't meeting certain religious he standards? He promises not to. And actually, polygamy itself brings shame on the woman because of when a woman is required by God to share her husband with other women and, and, and the torture that goes on in their mind when she knows that he's in bed with her the next door, that's a shame. That's a, is a living a life of utter shame. I don't deserve to have the unique affections of one husband. I don't deserve, there's something, see you have to believe there's something that is wrong with you and that you're having to earn something or else you wouldn't live like that. Mm -hmm. that that's, mm -hmm. why, that's why shame organizes yeah. itself into religious to, systems. You have to prove you're worthy. You have to prove yourself worthy. And, and feeling like that is the worst feeling in the world. And for anybody, just as we're saying, who has never tasted of the true freedom of the gospel, uh, we both can bear witness along with many yeah. others. Yeah. Um, it is the most delicious taste it is. that you would it ever is taste so freeing. of. It is so freeing. And for another minute, uh, will you speak also to the wrong application of God's plans for these women and God's true plan for marriage. Yes. Well, as we started uh, earlier in the hour, just uh, in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. And what, what he conceived of in marriage was so beautiful. A picture in which in this covenant between a man and a woman, this is the place, and I still believe this is the place, that the gift of being able to become ever increasingly open. You know, my wife knows my flaws and she mm -hmm. loves me. Mm -hmm. I know her flaws and I love her. Mm. And she's not afraid you're going to run off to and another wife. And I'm going to run off. When you, when you and get so upset. because of this, you experience something that is, this is very much the love of God for us. It's God's unique plan. It's a beautiful design. And he planned only one wife, only one wife. with one man. And the, even though the Bible has polygamy on it, it wasn't his plan it wasn't his for plan. that to happen. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left, Alan. I want to thank you so much for coming. And I, I just pray that that God will use our show yes. and what we've talked about tonight. There was a ton more stuff oh, that we could so have much. talked about. But the women that have been watching, women, women from polygamy, contact him, Sharing the Light Ministry, yes. sharingthelight.com, uh, to get this book. And it's worth reading. If you are thinking of leaving your polygamous situation, give us a call. We would love to help you. We'll, we'll, we'll counsel with you. We'll talk with you, encourage you, give you hope. And there is hope in Jesus Christ and only in Him. There is not hope in a performance-based religious idea or behavior at all. And again, thanks for coming for, so far and for sharing part of your story with us. Uh, we do appreciate that. 
And I, I want to close the show tonight with something from your book, Free Yourself, Be Yourself. And those closing comments is on the gospel, which it means good news. In fact, everything that makes the good news good is summed up in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, that says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Did you know that God is not disappointed in us when we fall short? and that we can't do anything to earn God's love. And when you decide to place your eternal soul in the hands of Jesus Christ alone, God takes you in His grip and He will never let you go. God's love is not a reward for repentance or His reward for anything else because God is love. Unlike every other religion or spiritual practice, the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ is not about religious performance. In fact, it isn't a religion at all. It's a love relationship. And this love relationship with God, our Creator, is where we find the healing of our shame. In Jesus only will we find lasting acceptance, and only in Him will we be truly safe. Maybe you don't love God, but God loves you. And He demonstrated His love for you 2,000 years ago on the cross where He died for you so that you could be with Him forever if you will choose Him. How can anyone show any greater love for you than that? And this is the foundation of the entire Christian message. Life is not about measuring up to someone else's standard for you. It's not even measuring up to God's standard for you. Now that might amaze you, but it's true. Life is about receiving God's love and loving God back. Because God loves you, it is shame off you. As the Bible says in Romans 8, if God is for you, who can be against you? Our hope and prayer is that you will surrender yourself to God's love, receive Jesus Christ, and let Him take the shame off you. Thanks for watching and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.